Okay, we're in 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23. Anyone remember what we started looking at last week? mistake you made. What was the other mistake you made? Um, we went to Gath. Yeah. Which was kind of odd that he would go down to Goliath's hometown after killing Goliath, right? Right. But anyway, we were looking at David in exile. And so... What? Would there have been, you know how many years there would have been between David and Goliath and that? No. Not that one? No. Okay. No... Probably five or six. If I had to guess, uh, David would have been early to mid twenties by here because I may be wrong, but anyway, it wouldn't have been that many years because uh, by the time we're here with uh, David and Saul and different ones, lifespans are a lot shorter. They're not living huge. Links and most of the time they're not ruling that long. Yeah. And uh, I'd have to check and see if it says anywhere how old David was whenever he became king uh, or whenever he died and that kind of thing. But anyway, uh, we're in about the 10-year period where he was in exile, so uh, it was confirmed that Saul was not going to give up on uh, trying to kill him, really. He wasn't mm-hmm. safe in the palace anymore. Because he had been Saul's right-hand man and uh, had the whole thing with the bow and arrow and David and Jonathan. and So David left. He left in a hurry. Uh, he didn't take any supplies with him. And the one place that he knew that would be safe would be to go by the priest, go by the church, basically. And he went there, but he lied to the priest and said he was on a mission for Saul instead of running away from Saul. And so the priest gave him food and gave him uh, a Goliath sword. And then David went on down to Achish into Gath and apparently was either by himself or had very few people with him. And uh, while he was there, the people found out who he was and said, hey, this is the guy that's the king of Israel, the one that they sung and danced about, how he killed his ten thousands. And... David had to pretend like he was crazy in order to get away from him. And during all of that, Saul found out about how the priest had helped David, and he went and had him killed and all of his family and his entire town. And uh, so anyway, David started accumulating all of the uh, offcasts, or the, or the outcasts, I should say, all the outcasts of Saul's kingdom, all the ones that were discontent or indebted and things. And uh, David began the process of uh, shepherding those people to turn them into some of his mightiest mighty men. And so these were the uh, the outcasts of the kingdom that became mighty men. We usually don't think of that, do we? And, you know, you read the list of all of the mighty men and the ones that did this and the ones that did that. And they came from these ones that met with David in the cave in the wilderness. And so David had trained them and he had taught them and he had brought them up to where 
They were valiant, they were mighty, and they were extremely loyal to David. Uh, they would do anything for him. And so where we're coming to today is really uh, this 10-year process, God is shepherding David and turning him into a mighty man, much in the same way as what this went with the, uh, the ones that came to David. And so whenever we come to chapter number 23, David starts doing the things that Saul should be doing. Uh, Saul should be defending the people. He should be fighting the battles. That's what they wanted him for, right? And so in chapter 23, we'll read uh, just a little bit of it. But it says, Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite the uh, smite these Philistines. And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought... Uh, brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. And, David, and Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called the people together to war to go to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then said David, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver thee up. Then David and his men, which were about six hundred, arose and departed out of Keilah, and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah, and he forbore to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness and strongholds, and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. So anyway, uh, stop there. Uh, but as I said before I began reading, Saul should have been the one that was fighting the battles, right? This city, Keilah, it was a, uh, a border city. It was right on the border between Israel and the Philistines. And it was at the time that they were harvesting their grains and the Philistines have to feed their armies, right? And so whenever the people started uh, harvesting their grains, the Philistines would do raiding parties and would come in and steal all their food. And this is what was going on. I said that he would rob the threshing floors and fight against them. And David heard about all this. He's got his spies out. He's got to have his network to know what all's going on and where Saul's at, right? And so he heard about this, and he wanted to do something, and he, he sought the Lord's will in the matter, and God said, go ahead and go fight against them. But all of his men said, we're afraid. If we are already hiding from Saul, if we're already being chased by them, why would we go against the Philistines? 
And so they said, let's just stay where we're at. Let's not stir up any more trouble. Let's keep hiding. And so at this time, they were a very fearful lot. We see that kind of growing out of them as time goes by. But because they were fearful, David inquired of God again a second time for their sakes. And God said, yes, go, I will deliver them up. And so they followed after David as David was following after God. And whenever they got there, uh, God gave him the victory and also gave them plenty of uh, things to sustain them because David had 600 men, right? right? And so whenever they defeated the Philistines, it said that they got all their stuff, their cattle, their herds, and all those kind of things. And uh, so that would have been a blessing to David and his armies. Mm-hmm. But this city of Hilo was a walled city. And for a time, David and his men were living in that city. And long enough for Saul to hear about it. And he says, here's my chance. I can shut the gates and I can kill David and all of his men in the city. And so once again, the spy network relayed uh, uh, the news to David. And David said, okay, they're coming after us, but will the people give, give us up? And we would think that David just rescued them, right? David just defeated the Philistines for them, and so surely these people would be loyal to David, right? But they weren't. And whenever he inquires of God, God says, uh, Saul is coming, and they will deliver you up. But before we give the people of the city a hard time, think about this for a minute. How many men does David have? How many men does Saul have? Specifically says he's got an army of 3,000. So he's got five times as many men. He's got the crown and the throne. He's got the loyalty of the people, right? And not only that, he also has the track record of he just wiped out an entire priestly city because they helped David. And that news would travel fast, and now they've got David there. And yes, David helped them. But if they stand against Saul, then it's their next in the line. And they know that Saul's just crazy enough to come in and slaughter their entire city. And so we can't give them too hard of a time for this because this is the king that they had. And you have to fear a madman, I guess. And so that's what they did. And it says that whenever David and his men knew that Saul was coming and that the men of the city would betray him, that they they fled wherever they could go. Uh, It wasn't an orderly retreat. They didn't march out of the city and go to their places. Uh, They ran for their lives and hid in the hills. And so that's what they were doing. And in the last verse that we read, it says that uh, they were living in the wilderness and strongholds, and Saul sought them every day. So Saul made it his entire life's mission at that time as king of Israel to hunt David down like a dog. Yeah, so they were out in the wilderness, and I don't know how big of a place it would have been to hide that many people, but they were in rocks and in caves and in hills and rough. Really, that was the the secret to it all. They were in rough terrain. They were away from everything, and that was their protection was that it was rough. And uh, they were probably somewhat scattered as well. But the important part about that last verse that I read, whenever it says that Saul sought him every day, it says, but God delivered him not into his hand. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter how much resources they or that Saul had. 
or how hard it is to hide an army of 600 men, uh, God was protecting him because God had a plan for him. And that's something that we need to remember is whenever we're serving the Lord, whenever we're seeking to follow him, that God can protect us. He can watch over us. He can provide for what we need. And if we continue just a little further past where I stopped, we come to something that's kind of funny, or it is to me, because Saul is seeking David every day. He's got his army. He's got his vast network of spies that's been keeping an eye on David. And we come to verse 16. It says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the wood. So I'm just kind of imagining that David's there one day and Jonathan comes up and says, Hey, David, how are you? And he's like, Wait, how did you find me? I'm hiding. You know, I'm trying to stay away from your dad and you just waltz into my camp. But anyway... God was protecting David from Saul, but it says whenever Jonathan came in, it says he strengthened his hand in God. And so what happened was Jonathan came and encouraged him. David had made mistakes. He'd gotten a bunch of people killed. Uh, He had Saul coming after him uh, and trying to kill him. He had the Philistines mad at him because he had killed a bunch of them. And he had 600 men who were dependent upon him to protect them and provide for them and lead them. And so he had lots of stress in his life. And there would have been doubts. There would have been fears. And then Jonathan shows up. And Jonathan, it says that he strengthened him in his God. And so it didn't say he tried to or that he came with some spiritual sounding words of encouragement. He actually strengthened him. He encouraged him in the Lord. And... Um, Verse 17, he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. And so this was Jonathan's encouragement. Uh, Jonathan was supposed to be the next king, and he says, I know I'm not going to be it, that you're going to be that, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay being second in command. You're going to be the king, and I'm going to be there beside of you, and Saul knows about it. My dad knows about it. But he's telling David, remember what God has already done. Remember what God has promised you. And God's not going to lie. God's going to make it come to pass. And so that's that's how he strengthens him. And they made a covenant there once again. But if we were to continue reading, and I'm not going to read it all, but I just want to kind of skim through and hit the high points of David's story in the wilderness here. Um, but anyway, at the last of chapter 23... There was the Ziphites. He was in the wilderness of Ziph. And the Ziphites came to Saul and was speaking very kindly to him. And, oh, Lord, our king, and all these things. Uh, And they said, we know that David is down amongst us. And so if you come down, you can find him and you can take care. You can avenge yourself of your adversary. And Saul is saying, oh, how wonderful, blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. Verse 21. Ye have compassion because you showed me where my bravest soldier is running away from me at. And so anyway, he tells the Ziphites, go down, keep an eye on him, find out where he's staying at, find out where his camp is, find out the trails that he's running and the places he's hiding, and come back and tell me so I can come after him. And you come to the end of the chapter there, 
Saul brings his army down. David's on the mountain. And David's on one side of the mountain. Saul's on the other side of the mountain. And Saul's army goes both directions around the mountain and kind of has David surrounded. David and his armies are surrounded on the mountain. And it looks like it's the end for David, like a cliffhanger TV show, right? Mm -hmm. But, verse number 27, But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee, and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David, and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called that place uh, Selahim Maklakoth. Malakoth? Anyway, uh, y'all laugh at me for my pronunciation. Uh, and David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. So, right as it seemed like Saul had David trapped, had him surrounded, it just so happened that the messenger came right at that moment and said, The Philistines have attacked. While you are hunting your, uh, your man that's been helping you all along, your enemy has snuck in and attacked you. Yeah. And so he has to leave David alone, go and fight uh, fight the Philistines. And so David and his men are rescued. Uh, but once again, it was God that rescued him. Yeah. Uh, God wouldn't allow him to be found whenever he was found. God would not allow Saul to kill him. Right. He brought in an, uh, another uh, adversary to take him away. And so whenever we come to chapter 24, I'll just summarize here. Uh, chapter 24 is the, the famous passage where David spares Saul's life. As soon as he's finished with the Philistines, he comes looking for David once again. He hasn't learned his lesson. And <clears throat> he hasn't learned his lesson. And David and his men see Saul and his armies coming. They hide in caves. And there must be a lot of big caves there. And it says that Saul went in one of the caves to cover his feet. And... It just so happened that it was the same cave that David and his men were in. And so Saul laid his robe off beside of him to go in and do whatever he was doing. And David took his robe, cut the bottom of his robe off, and put it back down and collected his piece of fabric there. And all of his men were saying, go ahead and kill him, go ahead and kill him. And David says, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. David's thought on the matter was God put him on the throne. It's up to God to take him off of it. Right. That's that's the way that he looked at it. Now, the way we would probably look at it is this guy's trying to kill you. Right? It's self-defense, isn't it? And that's the way that David's men looked at it. They said, this is your enemy. This is the one who is trying to kill you. He's been hunting you. He's been chasing you. He won't leave you alone. Here's your chance. You could... Take his life in one of the most embarrassing ways possible in this cave. And as far as that goes, they're in the cave. His men are outside. No one's even going to see it happen. No one's going to know it happens. And most men would say it was completely honorable and justifiable, right? But David says, no, I'm going to allow God to work things out in his way. And so this is uh, something that as I was looking at this, David had an opportunity. And a lot of times we have the idea, okay, if there's an opportunity, you have to take it. God's opened a door, we've got to walk through it, right? But a lot of times we're narrow in the way that we look at opportunities. We see it the way that we want to, right? Rather than stepping back and looking at it and saying, 
there's an opportunity here, but there's different ways of approaching it. And this was an opportunity, but David said, rather than killing Saul, I'm going to prove to him that I don't want to kill him. I'm going to prove to him that I am an ally and not an adversary. And so David behaved himself wisely. And he just cut the piece of the garment off after Saul finished up his business and left the cave. Uh, David came out and said, hey, Saul, look what I have. I had a chance. I could have killed you and I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not wishing your harm. I'm not trying to kill you. I am not your enemy. And so Saul feigns repentance and he weeps and he says, oh, David, my son. And David knows that it, that's all can't be trusted. And so David remains in the wilderness and Saul leaves David for a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, something interesting in this chapter, though, whenever David is uh, speaking to Saul and talking to him, showing him his piece of fabric, in verse 12 it says, The Lord judge between me and thee, the Lord avenge me of thee, but my hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, ancients uh, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. David may not have stabbed him, but he cut him up pretty good with his words right there, if you pay attention to that, because he said, God will avenge me of thee. Mm -hmm. So he says, you have done me wrong over and over again, and God's going to take care of you, but I'm not going to do it. And the proverb that he says in verse number 13, he says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, and Saul was the one that was doing wickedly. Mm -hmm. So basically he said, you're wicked, you're treating me as an adversary, you're doing me wrong, and God is going to get you. But I'm not going to do it. Well, there's all kinds of different proverbs and principles in the Bible of allowing the Lord to do vengeance, mm-hmm. and us just letting it go. Mm-hmm. But that's hard for us to do because we want to <laughs> we want to clear our name, or we want to see uh, the other person get their just desserts. Right. We want to. We like the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But unfortunately, what we usually end up doing is whenever we try to exact our own justice, our own uh, vengeance, uh, we don't do eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We do uh, arm for a finger. It's like you wounded me slightly, I'm going to wound you greatly. And then it goes back and forth and it gets worse and worse. But God, whenever he... uh, avenges whenever he sets things straight. Uh, He does it completely uh, justly, righteously. And uh, he may not do it in our time frame, but he does it uh, much better than what we could ever do. And so anyway, um, so as we're seeing David develop here, he went and fought against the enemies of Israel and Kilo. He sought God's will in that. He sought God's will about uh, whenever Saul was coming after him. He was looking for God to guide him over and over again. And God was guiding him. God was protecting him. He was uh, keeping him safe from his enemies. He was providing for him through victories. He was helping him, right? And it doesn't mean that the road was easy. Right. I mean, there was battles to face. He was still, you know, running through the wilderness and hiding from Saul. But 
David needed to know that God had him in the palm of his hand and he was taking care of him. Now, in chapter 25, we get a bit of a lapse on David's part. Okay? And this is a story of David and Nabal. But it starts out, and this is something we often overlook, and I think this might be a little bit of a key to the story. But in chapter 25 and verse 1, it says, And Samuel died. We talked a lot about Samuel as we've been doing this study. And David is at the place now where he would have pretty well been ready to be king, right? He's leading people. He's notable. And so Samuel's life lasted long enough to where David was ready to become king. And the reason I bring that out is the people said they didn't want, uh, they didn't want Samuel's children. They were afraid because Samuel was old. He was going to die, all of those things. And so they wanted a king. And they got crazy King Saul. Saul's went full-blown full crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And um, all the while, Samuel's still alive. And so anyway, Samuel dies, and it seemed like David had had a good relationship with Samuel. Mm-hmm. Samuel was somewhat of a mentor. He was somewhat of a, uh, I don't want to say that he was a father figure in it. I don't believe it was that close, but he was somewhat of a mentor. He was the prophet. He was the representative of God. He was the one that anointed David, right? And so anyway, Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down into the wilderness of Paran. And uh, the reason I bring this out is that uh, I think Samuel was almost a... Maybe this is the wrong way to put it, but almost like a spiritual power or force, uh, at least in David's mind, to keep Saul in check. It's like as long as Samuel is there, as long as we have someone that represents God in a leadership position in Israel, then maybe that will help restrain Saul at least a little bit. But whenever godly Samuel dies, David probably, probably feels as if Hope has died a little bit with him. And so he is, no doubt, because of the death of Samuel, he's going to be affected emotionally. Uh, his Maybe his faith will be affected a little bit. His um, uh, what was I say? His, anyway, his faith is going to be affected a little bit. His emotions are going to be stirred. His fear is going to rise up in him because of this. No. But anyway, he's now responding to this because Samuel is dead. Israel has mourned Samuel's death, and David says, okay, now I'm in trouble. And so he left from where he was at. He went down into another wilderness, and he spent a good bit of time there. But it says that there was a man in uh, Mayan whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of that man was Nabal. The name Nabal means fool. And the name of his wife, Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance, but the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. 
And so we have a husband and a wife here that are very different. And how do you think that a man named, a man like Nabal ended up with a wife like Abigail? Okay. Okay. So it would have been a arranged marriage. He may have been a fair amount older, even, but he was a very wealthy man. And Abigail's father, no doubt, thought uh, I can at least give her a comfortable life. I can give her some uh, financial stability and security. He may not be much of a husband, but he's a wealthy man. And so her dad probably got a dowry out of this, a large dowry. And so she was sold off. And so the beautiful girl uh, ended up with the grumpy old man, and she didn't have much say in the matter. And uh, I believe that's how they got together. And the reason I'm bringing that out is because through all of this, there is a big contrast between her and Nabal. Uh, she doesn't seem to be too keen of him. She says he was named right because he's a fool. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, what ends up happening here is that David is uh, hiding out in this wilderness around where Nabal and all of his uh, flocks and his herds and everything's at. And David is protecting Nabal and all of his assets. He's protecting his flocks and his herds, and he is making sure that his men uh, don't take anything that doesn't belong to them. Right. Uh, normally, if there was a group that big, they would just be going over and just taking what they wanted, right? And David says, no, we're going to do this right. We're not going to mistreat these people. We're not going to steal their stuff. We're going to be honest. I think it's because he was a shepherd and he Yeah, that's a very good point. It could be that because he he's looking at all the sheep and he's like, I remember what it was like just having my little flock and being out there. And he may have felt for these shepherds. And so he said, okay, guys, you watch out for these guys. You make sure that no one harms them, nothing comes to them. And so they were, uh, it says that they were as a wall, verse number 16, they were as a wall uh, unto us both day and night, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. So basically all the shepherds said, hey, as long as they're there, we're safe. We don't have to worry about anything. So David has his big army, his sheep shearing season. That was a festival time. This is whenever... They're getting all their money. They're shearing the sheep. They're selling the wool. And this is whenever they have excess, abundance. And so they're having feasts. And all the shepherds and the sheep shearers and everyone are eating in abundance. And they are having a party. And they're making merry. And David comes and he says, Nabal, would you... Well, he sends his his men. He says, Nabal, would you provide for us some of this? Would you allow us to eat of your abundance that you have right now? Now, we look at that and say 600 men, that's asking a lot, right? But because of the wealth and the riches that Nabal had, it wasn't that big of a uh, request, okay? But it wasn't so much that Nabal didn't want to share. It was his response because in verse number 10 of chapter 25, Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? And so Nabal is intentionally being uh, 
antagonistic. He's intentionally being mean about this. He's trying to provoke. And it's not smart whenever David's got an army of 600 men. But anyway, he's basically telling David, or David's servants here, he's accusing David of being a a rebel, of saying that he has turned against his master. He's turned against King Saul. And so he's making this accusation that David is just some worthless traitor that's turned against Saul, and he was a nobody. He wasn't important. He said, who is this David? So complete disrespect for David. And so David's response at this time was, gather up the men. We're going to go and slaughter his entire uh, family. All the servants want to cut off everyone because of the way that he has responded, how unreasonable, how hostile, how disrespectful that he has been. We're just going to get rid of all of them. But now that seems to be against David's character. Because David, even whenever he faced Saul, he says, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's many times that he is uh, willing to overlook uh, mistreatment. But this time wasn't one of them. And that goes back to the very first verse of that chapter, and I believe it's there for a reason, that Samuel was dead. And David was on the run. And so David was... Scared, right? Remember I've said several times, fear makes us do stupid things. And so David was scared. David was doubting. He says, yes, I know I was anointed by Samuel, but now Samuel's dead. I know that God said he had these plans for us, but does he really? And he's trying to provide for his men. He's trying to feel out all of this. He knows he's anointed king, but he doesn't feel like he's any closer to being king. And now this man comes and just completely disrespects him after he's done nothing but good. And so he's ready to go and kill them all. But one of the servants come and tell Abigail. Abigail realizes Nabal has royally messed up and David has every right to come in and teach him some respect. Yeah. And so she gathers up a whole bunch of stuff meets David, she bows down, and she speaks with great humility and great wisdom as she's speaking to David and really gains David's respect. Mm -hmm. And she says, don't hold this against me, don't hold this against all of Nabal's family because Nabal's an idiot. I mean, that's basically what she says. And she says, don't ruin your reputation because of a man like him. Mm -hmm. Don't do something stupid that's going to be a mark against you whenever God puts you on the throne and you're ruling over this people. Don't do something out of haste or out of anger that will be a mark against you later on. And so David accepts her, uh, her advice and he is very grateful, very thankful for her wisdom and her uh, attitude that she's had as she's came toward him. And so she makes him promise to uh, to her in verse number 31. He says, but when, or she says, but when the Lord hath avenged himself, right, excuse me, but, but when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. She said in verse number 30, you're going to become king. 
Verse 31, God is going to avenge you of your adversary. He's going to take care of Nabal. And whenever something bad happens to Nabal because God has avenged you, don't forget about me. And it doesn't take very long. Within days, Nabal is dead. He hears about what all has happened, that David almost came in and massacred him. He's drunk. And it says that his heart died within him. Whatever that would have ended up being, whatever medical thing that was. I don't know if he had a heart attack and went into a coma or what, but he, he died. And whenever we come down to the, the last part of chapter 25, David comes back to Abigail whenever he hears that Nabal is dead. And he says, you asked me to remember you. I remember you. Come be my wife. And so she comes, and uh, they end up getting married. And there's a little side note after that that there's another woman that he took to be wife, but Michael, Saul's daughter, was given to someone else, and now David has two wives and an ex, I guess, which starts out a bad precedent for his children. Because what the parents do in moderation, the children do in excess. And so you wonder how Solomon got 700 wives and 300 concubines. Started out with David having multiple wives. And then Solomon thought, hey, it's okay for me to do it. And whenever he got started, he didn't know where to end it, right? So then we come to chapter 26. I'll bring this all together here in just a minute. But when we come to chapter 26... This is whenever David spares Saul a second time. Uh, the Lord causes a deep sleep to fall upon Saul in his camp. David and his uh, one of his men sneak in, and Saul's spear, his javelin, maybe the same one they threw at David multiple times, is stuck in the ground by his head. And they sneak into the camp, take his stuff, and retreat back away. And then they start shouting out and hollering at uh, Saul and his men. And say, hey, we had a chance. We could have killed you, and we didn't. Why are you still hunting after us? Remember after the first time, Saul pretended to be repentant. He mm-hmm. he wept about it. And he, he said, oh, David, you treated me good, and you're going to become king. Mm-hmm. And then here he is chasing him again. And once again, David says, I could have killed you. I didn't do it. Why don't you just leave me alone? And so once again, Saul says, oh, David, my son. And David knows it's a bunch of rubbish. And Saul goes his way, and David goes back to hiding. But David is behaving himself wisely. He is trusting in God for the most part. His faith ebbs and flows. It's up and down from time to time. But he, all the way through, even though God has had him anointed king, says you're going to have the throne, you're going to be the king one day, David still says, I'm going to wait till God gives it to me. I'm not going to go and take it. I'm not going to go and try to scheme and find a way to make myself king. I'm not going to go and kill Saul. God will put me on the throne whenever he's ready. And so he continued all the way through that. But we come to chapter 27, and you notice this is back and forth all the way through. Uh, so you had, you know, he's doing well. He's not avenging his adversary with uh, with Saul, but then he tries to with Nabal, and God prevents him from doing it, right? Do you think it was a coincidence 
that Abigail heard about it and she came out and was wise and gave godly counsel and kept him from doing something rash. God was working to keep David. Even whenever David wanted to do something in the flesh, God was making ways to keep him from doing it. And this is where I was saying at the beginning of this that God was shepherding him to make him into a mighty man. But we come to chapter 27, and it starts out with a verse that is very interesting, very important for us. It says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. And so David is having a conversation with David. Right? He said in his heart, we get in trouble whenever we start talking to ourselves. When we start communing with our own heart because our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And what was his heart doing? Okay. Specifically, what was it doing? Okay. All those things are right. You're making him afraid. His heart was lying to him. Because, look what it says. David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. What did God tell him was going to happen? Saul was going to get him. That David was going to be king. And how can David be king if Saul kills him, right? And so rather than trusting God's word and what God has revealed to him, he is trusting his heart. And his heart's lying to him. And if we listen to our heart too much, if we spend too much time in our emotions and worrying and fretting, we will be afraid of all these things that will never happen. We'll talk ourselves into all kinds of worries and fears and frets. And that will clobber any faith that we have. And so David says, Saul's going to kill me if I stay here. He's put God out of the picture. He didn't say God is working for me. If God be for me, who can be against me? He's saying Saul's going to kill me. And so the only thing that makes sense to me while I'm following my heart is that I leave Israel and I go to the Philistines to the enemy, to the ones that I've already had to pretend to be nuts in the past. But lots has happened since then because David is very clearly now Saul's enemy. The Philistines would know this. The Philistines would know that Saul hates David and that there's a rivalry here. And it goes back to the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so the Philistines looked at it and said, if Saul hates David, we like him. And so King Achish welcomes David in and actually gives him his own city for him and his men. And David is living in the land of the Philistines to escape Saul because David had a conversation with himself. Now, for a believer, for a child of God, would it ever be a good idea to go down and try to preserve yourself by your own methods by making deals with the enemy. It never makes sense to go down to the Philistines, right? And so David does this, and he goes down, and he is with the Philistines, and Achish likes him. And so what David ends up doing while he's there 
is he starts going out and fighting against Israel's enemies and smiting different cities and different places with him and his men and coming back and reporting to Achish and saying, uh, I went and I was uh, fighting against the Israelites. And so he was fighting against one guy over here. He told, he killed everyone so no one could go back and tell uh, Achish about it. And then Achish thought that he was fighting against his own people and that he was going to be despised by his own people. And he says, if David is doing these stupid things to turn his own people against him, then I'm going to have his loyalty forever. He's going to have no place to run. But David was lying. He was playing both sides up, right? Mm -hmm. But this is what ends up happening whenever we start following our heart, start believing lies, start uh, reasoning within ourselves of what we have to do to make things work out, and it turns into one bad mistake after another. And so we come down to chapter 28. Um, David is still fighting with, uh, at the very beginning of this, he's still fighting against uh, the enemies of Israel, saying that it is uh, the enemies of the Philistines. And Achish asks him in the beginning of chapter 28, he says, we're going to go fight against Israel. You coming with us. And David says, yep, we're going. But then there's a parenthesis that happens here. And the Philistines are coming against Israel. Samuel is dead. Saul is crazy. God has taken his spirit away from him. David, his best and most trusted soldier, is in hiding from him amongst the Philistines. And Saul has no clue where to turn. So he turns to a witch, to the witch of Endor. And he goes to her, he disguises himself, and he goes to her and summons Samuel or some sort of a spirit from the beyond. And there is a message that's delivered. There's uh, People argue back and forth whether it was actually Samuel. Okay? Because obviously we know mediums today are working with demons and devils and different things. Did God do something special this time and allow Samuel to actually appear? Maybe. We can't say for sure. But we do know that the message that is delivered is authentic. And even we know that the witch, whenever she sees Samuel, she is startled. There's something out of the ordinary for her. So that leads me to believe that maybe it is actually Samuel that comes up. But anyway, Samuel tells Saul, tomorrow about this time, you and your sons are going to be with me. You're going to die. And so he has this word, and we come down to um, verse or chapter number 29. And the Philistines are getting ready to go fight the Israelites in this battle where, Sam, or where Saul and his children are going to die. And David is amongst their number. And, and it looks like David is going to have to fight his own people that he's supposed to be the king over. That would be a mess, wouldn't it? But the people, all of all of Achish's advisors and his other lords and different ones within his kingdom says, we don't trust David for good reason, right? And so if the battle gets hot and David's men turn on us, they're going to, they're going to slaughter us. And so we don't want them going to battle with us. 
And Akish says, he's been loyal to me. He's been a great asset. I want him with me. They said, we don't want him. And so God allows through this division between the people to prevent David from having to fight against his own people. Where David shouldn't have ever been in that place to begin with. He shouldn't have made an allegiance with the devil, basically. Exactly. But God, in spite of all that, God is still working in spite of David. And in spite of the stupid things that David has done, God is still protecting him. Because if David would have went and fought against the people of Israel in the battle that Saul lost, would David become king? Probably not. And so God worked to counteract David's poor decisions. And so God was blessing in spite of David here. And so since David was sent away in all of his army and they were ready for battle anyway, they went and uh, let's see. No. Whenever they went back home, whenever they went back to uh, Ziklag, the Amalekites, which Saul was supposed to have killed, had came and burnt the city with fire, carried away all their families, carried away everybody. And they were ready to kill David. All of his men said, hey, while we've been following you, we've lost our, all of our stuff and our wives and our children, and they were ready to stone him. And what does David respond in doing? Okay. That's one of the very important things to do is he's in a tough spot. And his men are upset, they're angry because of all the things that's happened to him, right? They're ready to come and kill him. And so he's looking to God. He's saying, God, I need your help. You show me what to do. But before he does that, he does something else important. In verse number 6 of chapter 30, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He didn't have Jonathan. He didn't have Samuel. He didn't have anyone else. David encouraged himself. He had to go back and look and say, I can see all these places where God has been for me, all these things that God has done for me. And so God can work in this situation too. God, what do I need to do? And God says, go and pursue. You'll defeat. You'll recover all. And so he gathers all the men together. They go. They recover everything that was stolen. They recover down to every single person, every wife, every child, even every head of animal. They recover all of it and they defeat the Amalekites, and come back to Ziklag. And that brings us to the final chapter in chapter 31. While this was going on with David, the Amalekites, and Ziklag, uh, Saul was fighting against the Philistines. And as they were going after... uh, After them, we know that, uh, let me see, verse 2 of chapter 31, the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me, or and yeah, come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. 
Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. Uh, I'll go ahead and read five as well. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise on his sword and died with him. And so what an end to King Saul. He started out great. He had so much uh, potential, but he allowed his pride and his carnality to get in the way. And he didn't trust God. He tried to do things his own way. Uh, and it fell apart. And by the end of it, you find that he doesn't die as a hero. He dies in fear and falls upon his sword. And not only that, but we see that it took down his armor bearer as well. His example followed through to the people that was around him and caused other people to fall whenever he fell. And the people of Israel all fled away at that time and then we find in uh, the beginning of Second Samuel, David is made king over Judah. And Saul's one remaining son is made king over Israel. Right? Ishbosheth, I believe his name. But a really sad part about this is in verse number two is that the Philistines slew Jonathan. Remember how Jonathan said, we're going to reign together, we're going to rule together? But every time, he kept going back to Saul. And this is something that's always stuck with me. He knew that David was anointed. He knew that uh, the Spirit was on David. He knew that God had a plan for David. He knew that Saul had turned away from uh, God and had been rejected by God. And he had a love for David. And he had a love for Saul. And he was pulled back and forth both ways, almost like tug of war. Yeah. Or you say that he was straddling the fence between the two of them. Yeah. And rather than, than him taking a stand and saying, Dad, you're, you're crazy, you're chasing after David when you shouldn't be. Uh, he is God's anointed. He is the one that's supposed to be leading. I can't stand with you. I can't do these things. And him following after God and following after David, he stayed with Saul. And we say, well, it was his dad. And rightfully so, right? But because of who he decided to throw his lot in with, because of the one he decided to hang out with, he could have been in the wilderness with David and fighting with uh, the 600 men out there, but he stayed with Saul. And he died with Saul. And that's always stuck with me because uh, with Saul, he had so much of a negative impact on the people around him. But on Jonathan, with not making the hard decisions and not choosing to do something that would have been difficult, you know, turning away from Saul, rather than turning away from him and turning to David, he just continued to stay with Saul. He just kind of defaulted. He mm-hmm. he stayed in the the path of least resistance, I guess. And in the end, he didn't reign with David. He ended up dying on the battlefield with Saul. But David at that time, he had made a few mistakes, but he's human, right? But I have no doubt whatsoever that David, throughout all of this, had remained faithful to God, that he loved God, that he uh, trusted God, even whenever there was times that his faith waned, even whenever there was times that he doubted. And most of the time, the doubts that he had wasn't doubts about God, but it was doubts about 
God's plan for him. Mm-hmm. Not understanding how things were going to go together. Because if we look at it from, if we try to put ourselves in David's shoes and look at it, we would have had a lot harder time than he did. Oh, yeah, that's because, as I've said all the way through this, David would be looking at this and saying, God anointed me to become king you know, 10, 15 years ago. I'm still not king. I thought I was going to be reigning. I thought I was going to be you know, a great army hero, and here I am hiding out like some sort of a, uh, a convict or some sort of someone on the run, mm-hmm. right? And none of the things that he was seeing fit with the human perception of the pathway to the the throne, right? But God still got him there. And so what I want us to see from this is that if we'll behave ourselves wisely, meaning we live a godly life, mm-hmm. trusting him, faithful, he will order our steps, he will guard us from the enemy, He will guide our footsteps and they may take us through some wilderness journeys. Might spend some time in the cave. (laughs) Right? But in the end, if we trust God and continue serving him, he can work all things together for our good. David had multiple opportunities where he could have turned away from God, where he could have ruined it all. Oh, yeah. Some of those times God actually prevented but he could have turned away from God. But I believe his heart was toward God the entire way. God honored that, and God ended up working it all out. Mm-hmm. He avenged David of his enemies, and he ends up putting him on the throne, just like he said that he would. And so from David's life, we need to learn that lesson, or especially his life up until now, that we have to trust God to work out his plan, mm-hmm. even whenever we don't understand the journey he's taking us on to get us where he wants us to. And so, anyway, we'll end there for tonight. Do you have anything to add? Comment? There we cover like eight chapters. Mm-hmm. Summarizing as we go through. We go back and read it all. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you for the day that you've given us. And we thank you so much for your word, and Lord, for this uh, account of David's life, and just seeing, and as we study it out, just kind of putting ourselves there, and the emotions that we'd be going through, and the the doubts, and the fears, and the struggles, and Lord, just how we can see that uh, you were right there all along, that you were Uh, working in his situations even whenever uh, he couldn't see it. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to learn this lesson from him and uh, just continue to follow you, allow you to uh, work all things together for good in our lives, Lord, and trust you with the journey. And we just thank you so much for all that you do, and thank you for loving us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.